Hello beautiful and welcome to Finding Fertility. I'm your host Monica Cox from FindingFertility.co and I created this podcast to help get you to start thinking outside of the box and realize that your infertility might have nothing to do with your lady bits. Rooted in functional medicine and personal experience, Finding Fertility is all about looking at the whole body and finding the root cause of your infertility. Finding Fertility does not diagnose, prescribe, or treat any issues of infertility. But what we do is take a holistic approach and improve your diet and your lifestyle to get you steps closer to creating your dream family. Just by being here with me, listening to this podcast, you're already going down the right path to making your dreams come true. Let's do this together. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Fertility. I'm your host, Monica Cox, and I'm super excited and honored that you are here becoming the conscious mama you were born to be. Today, we have part two of the incredible story with Lauren High and her journey of finding out that she was donor conceived and what she is doing now to really um, safeguard the community in many different aspects. So without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Yeah, if you that know, will, yeah. It will strengthen our position um, significantly more if we yeah. have that empathy. Yeah. And, but I do understand how there's a lot of, donor conceived people who given what they have gone through have been like fuck it burn the whole system down I do not give a shit given what they have gone through I have empathy for that as well and I yeah. understand why given what some of them have gone through I, I completely respect that um, opinion and I would ask people who find that opinion of donor conceived people very offensive I understand but have empathy for what some of them have gone through because it is there are donor conceived stories that are, are absolutely nightmarish and I can understand why they are. They're just yeah. done. And I get it. I think like across the board, everyone who has dealt with some type of like infertility, fertility issues, medical assistance, the horrendous stories that are involved in that, like you just mm -hmm. mentioned before, they, they're so ashamed. They like go in the dark. And then the people who have these successful, amazing stories want to talk about it and want to share it. Yes. And there's not this equal balance of knowledge around the industry. I will. Well, yeah. And, and I do think that the, the lack of community, mm -hmm. um, of honest community really is what has put us in the dark. And thank and I know that people have very mixed reviews on commercial DNA testing, which I understand. But honestly, as a donor conceived person, d d uh, commercial DNA tests were an absolute blessing. Mm -hmm. They were what connected us. This is what provided us the evidence. This is what commercial DNA tests are how we were able to track down so far 70 doctors who have switched out the chosen donor DNA donor Jeez. sperm for their own. 70 doctors and only 17% of the United States population has taken a commercial DNA test. And we've already found 70 doctors that have done this. So for us, commercial DNA tests are literally, this has been our evidence. This is what has been, this is what has connected us. 
Um, and we've been able to connect through social media. Mm-hmm. And so donor conceived people have really been very much like taking up this torch of going like, we're going to talk about it and yeah. we have to talk about it because at the end of the day, specifically when it comes to donor conception, donor conceived people have to live with the choices that the recipient parents made more than anyone else mm-hmm. because it literally built our bodies. Yeah. Every time we look in the mirror, we are reminded. And it will not just affect us, it affects our children as well. Mm-hmm. There are do- there are children of donor conceived people who have massive medical issues due to the donor conception. Mm-hmm. So it is something that I do very much ask recipient parents to do is I see your infertility trauma. I see it. You are heard. You are loved. And I beg you, please go to a therapist. Go to go to a counselor first. I know how desperate you are. And I feel that and I can hear your pain. And I say that as somebody, please know who is working through infertility themselves. I, I've had a tumor on my pituitary gland that I've been slowly shrinking. I get it. I can't have children right now mm-hmm. and I'm working through it right now. And hopefully my husband and I can start conceiving next year. I feel you and I hear you. So I don't say this without any kind of knowledge or understanding or fear. I get that fear, mm-hmm. but you have to go see a counselor because what ends up happening is the infertility trauma. It does not go away. A child is not a cure for the trauma. Nope. What ends up happening is, um, I believe uh, Jana Rupp now is the one who is like, it kind of, this kind of trauma time travels. Yeah, it does. Like we're, just and what we talked about before with the DNA. It absolutely exactly. goes it with time you. travels. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come out in weird ways with your children. Mm-hmm. And you need to work on that first before you start the process. Because if you are in your healing journey and then you will make much better decisions for you and your future child. Yeah. And because you're not going to be in a traumatic state, you're not going to be as easily taken advantage of by the infertility industry. Yep. Absolutely. So again, it's, it's not about ignoring your trauma. It is about, it is seeing it, but saying, please, please go take care of yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as someone who went through, you know, six years of unexplained infertility, never seeing a positive pregnancy test, failed IVFs, eventually figuring out the root cause of my issue and reversing it. I have an IVF baby and I got pregnant naturally after eight years. Wow. I can absolutely 100% guarantee you the trauma of it all will not leave when you have those babies. And it's something that you have to work through continuously. And now the clients that show up on my doorstep, that's what we're doing, right? And people have to understand that fertility issues just don't happen the moment you start trying to conceive. It is a lifetime of either little, little events all building up or some big events. And it it starts in your grandmother's room, if not earlier right? I could tell you exactly why I was infertile at 17. <laughs> like, I can give you the playbook of my mom's life, my dad's life, how that, you know, my pregnant or their pregnancy with me dictated my health and wellness throughout the years. 
the cool thing, just like you're experiencing now, is that you can reverse a lot of these things, but you have to get real and honest with yourself. Yeah. And looking at the traumas of not only the fertility issues, but of your whole life is one of the hardest places to look, but the best place to start, right? Everyone hyper-focuses on diet and supplementation and medical assistance and all the things that you like are tangible and you can control. But if you get silent and get real, that's where you're going to see the major breakthroughs. And then all those physical things that you need to do because we're human beings on a human earth, right? Like we're physical, they're yeah. going to just become easier and you're going to gl glide through this. And when you get to the end of your journey, no matter what type of way it ended, right? Medical assistance, not donor, not adoption, you are going to be a better version and a better parent for that child. You know, you're just going to be a better human being all around. Yeah. Because, and, and we've just, we have, we watch it time and time again with, from recipient parents who take that infertility trauma out mm -hmm. and we see it. Like, I, I will be honest, like ways in which that if you refer to, for example, here, here are some things that, um, that are to us big red flags. When you start saying a donor is just a donor, <laughs> that to us is a massive red flag. Yeah. And, that's a huge red flag. And if yeah. that's something that you feel, that's a big red flag. And this is why. It's not a donor. It's not just a donor. That's your child's biological parent. Mm -hmm. That's your child's biological parent. If you were conceiving with a partner, would you refer to them as the donor? No, that's your child's biological parent. And when you refer to, well, you're, it's just a donor to your child, you are invalidating half of your child's DNA, half of what the building blocks of who they are. Mm -hmm. And you are immediately dialing in shame into them as a human. It's it, it, it's the, the amount of the slippery slope that that can, a donor is just a donor, can do is really rough mm -hmm. now for some donor conceived people they don't give two shits about their donor oh is it okay if i swear it, absolutely totally okay fine. i just realized it's like i didn't ask him <laughs> sorry so if so for so uh, sorry so there are some donor conceived people who don't who don't care about their donor they have no interest they have no and that's cool that's neat that but it should be their choice and their realization mm -hmm. as a recipient parent you cannot put that on your child your child has to discover that for themselves so understanding the importance and letting and being like yes this is this is your you can say like yes this was a donor this was this person who helped us out but don't be like oh they were just a donor mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not your real parent. Like, don't that's not what you should be putting into your child. Um, one, your your child is gonna know your child is gonna know who raised them, your child is gonna know who's there for them, your child's gonna know who's packing my lunch, who wakes me up, who's there for me on my birthday. Your child's gonna know. Trust your kid and trust the love that you give your kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's always and it's always something that like I Parents who don't tell their children that they are donor conceived to me is a direct result of them being insecure about their parenting. Yeah. 
that's what it is. Um, mm. For me and my my parents were, were never concerned about that. That was never like, yeah, of course we're going to tell her because they were secure over the fact of like, no, we're good. We know we'll be fine. Laura's going to be okay. She knows mm -hmm. who's there. She she knows who's at her basketball game. She we, she knows that we're there at her swim meets. We, she knows we're good. This is her knowledge and she has the right to know that this is her truth. Absolutely. This was never a question for them. Yeah. And all that. And so, and my, and my dad was very supportive to me finding my donor. My father was very supportive to me. He never was like, he always was supportive because he was like, no, she's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, And for me, I, I will tell the parents, because I do get a lot of parents, uh, and I talk to a lot of parents who are very insecure if they're not the biological parent. And I'll, I, I mean, I don't speak for all donor-conceived people, but I'll just let you guys know, like, there hasn't been a second in my life where I didn't view my dad as my dad. Yeah. Never once. And, and my dad and I have had rough patches. We've had screaming matches. And in those screaming matches, there was never ever a moment where it popped into my head saying, I'm going to tell him he's not my real father never popped into my head that because yeah. that was never something that I've ever felt in my life mm -hmm. that man is my father yeah always and forever um never once and well again I have oh, my like I have two bi biological parents and I'll tell you I told them I was adopted several times so I <laughs> honestly don't think that actually matters and like you said it's the relationship you have with them that matters not yeah. the DNA or that, right? Like it's it's that bond. It's it's them being emotionally available for you in the light and in, in the dark. And if you can give that to your child as a parent, that's what makes you a parent. And that's where yeah. the tr working on your traumas and the bullshit um, of before and during fertility issues is important because I can handstand guarantee you for me, I didn't realize this stuff was um, necessary. I mean, I did a lot of work to get pregnant naturally, but the traumas that I didn't know that I had started to pop up when my second son was born and he was a spit of me. And I saw my childhood in him. And so all the anger and all the re repressed emotion that I didn't even know was there was coming up. And because I was conscious enough to know that this these feelings weren't right. These emotions weren't mm -hmm. right. Then I started to do the work, but um, that's only because I allowed myself to at least open Pandora's box, right? Like the little steps that you take and then you just become more conscious and more conscious. But I'm telling you, no matter um, when you have a child in your hand, I personally, I personally believe they're sent to trigger the shit out of you and make you grow, right? To become a better person. So if you can oh, do yeah. that kids before are, they come, it's going to be a gonna, lot easier. Are, have a magical way of knowing exactly the thing <laughs> that you didn't know you needed to be called out on. Yes. They have a way of finding it out. It's it's very, I used to work in childcare. Yes. Um, so it, it's, yeah, no, kids are magical little little trigger buttons. They're They're quite impressive. But yeah, I, I really, it's like you, you have to be secure enough in your parenting and in your relationship um, before, before you start 
you know, going down the donor conception and infertility treatment path. Uh, because if you especially have a donor conceived child, yeah, there's a very good chance your child is going to want to m- meet their biological parent, which is unbelievably normal. Mm-hmm. And how I always explain this is, um, why did you choose donor conception? Why did you choose it? Out of other fa- out of other ways to build your family, why did you choose donor conception? It is typically because you wanted at least one of you to have a biological attachment to one of the children. So if you can understand that, then you should have empathy for your child wanting to know who their other biological parent is. Yeah. And understand that love is not pie. It is not finite. It is infinite. Your child could hypothetically develop a relationship with their biological parent and still have beautiful, full love for the parents who raised them and also have love for their biological parent as well. That is having that love for the biological parent does not take away anything from the parents who raised them. It does not. And you need to have security in that. And that child and that genetic mirroring for that child and the ability to meet their biological parent and have a relationship and talk to them can be a very groundbreaking in life altering in such it can be so positive and we hear so many stories from donor conceived people finding siblings their donor later in life and being like i i found i I figured so many mysteries out and Mm -hmm. saying like i found so many of these puzzle pieces that i've been didn't even realize i was looking for i found them Mm -hmm. absolutely and we we hear so many donor conceived people finding siblings or their donor and talk about like uh genetic mirroring for the first time and Mm -hmm. i will say even i've had that with like one of my siblings i've not met any of my siblings but i got on the phone with one of them and it was like talking to myself and that was a crazy experience hearing that side of me in which i've never been able to genetically mirror was an incredible um experience with her and i I'm so grateful that I've had at least even that little bit has been just so wonderful for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. There's so, there's so much we can go down. Um, I want to just give you the floor a little bit of like the advocacy that you're doing right sure. now. Um, where, what are you most proud of right now that you've, you've put out there for the community? Oh, um, I, oh, oh my God, I don't know. Um, I would say, um, I'm very, I have no idea. I really don't. (laughs) Um, I, well, because it's like there, there's things that I, I'm very, very proud of the community that I have built. Um, I have worked very, very hard at really creating a relationship and a community with my followers, definitely on TikTok, um, of, for, for now a few years of having this ongoing conversation with them 
um, I've been told, and I didn't realize this is I, as a content creator, I'm answering questions a lot more than a lot of content creators do. Like I'm in the comment section actively a lot more than a lot of people are. And I mm -hmm. didn't know that. And I, that was a very, for me as a stand-up comedian, I feel like, well, it's always an ongoing conversation. Like, of course I'm, in, I'm interacting with my, my audience. Like, why wouldn't I do that? But I also, for me, it's, this is a conversation. This is an ongoing build of trust mm -hmm. because I'm this random human being that most of them have never met, will never meet personally, yet I'm asking them to listen and trust me with this information. Mm -hmm. That to me immediately says I have to then work hard to gain that trust. Yeah. And so I'm very, very careful of anything that I ask in terms of like calling legislatures or anything like that. Um, I've... I'm very, very careful of what I ask my my followers to do. Um, I really only um, that's not something that I uh, that's not something that I that's not a button I push often. I'm very careful with that because I only I, I want to make sure it's like, no, 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 this is this is the moment. This is the time. Yeah. And I always try very hard to always be honest with them saying, I don't know something. I'm always very clear of like, ooh, that question you asked, that ain't my lane. I'm not gonna go there, but I'm gonna refer to people who do. I'm gonna bring in other members of my community to answer that better than I can. Um, I, so I've worked very hard to have that trust um, and make sure that there's a certain amount of um that not a certain i'm i really try hard to hold up a certain amount of integrity um and i'm proud that i have maintained that and i always and and it's kind of like every day i i'm always like i always want to continue to make sure that i am a strong communicator for my community and i always want to make sure that i am always within you know, showing integrity and not arrogance. Yeah. And that's something I, I actively try and work hard every single day. And I specifically actually have a bunch of checks and balances put in place for me. Um, there's a lot of times where it's like, I'll put out a video where I know I'm, I'm saying a very, I'm going to say controversial thing or a hot take. And there's a lot of people I send it to, to check first. And I specifically do that to make sure that my head's not getting too big. Um, that I am not acting out of line or that my pride is not out of control mm -hmm. because I'm aware that at this point, I have to be very, very careful with what I say because this isn't just my name on the line anymore. This is my community. Mm -hmm. So I have to be careful. Um, yeah. So I am proud of that. But because of that, there have been so many things that we have done that I am grateful for. My community, when it was time to vote for the fertility fraud legislation in Ohio, my community literally flooded Ohio's government with hundreds of phone calls and emails saying, please pass the fertility fraud legislation. Nice. And we got the fertility fraud legislation passed. That is, when I got that call that my followers did that, yeah. That to me was so unbelievably cool. That was, I was so grateful in that moment. And I will never forget that, that, 
they all took time out of their day to do that. Yeah. I will never forget that. And I am so grateful for the people that I get to work with every single day, such as Eve Wiley. Eve Wiley is the person who wrote the fertility fraud legislation. Mm -hmm. Um, I was with her in D.C. as she was uh, lobbying to get the fertility fraud legislation passed federally, which we are still trying to. H.R. 451, please call your local legislatures and tell them to sponsor Bill H.R. 451. Um, so I'm so incredibly proud of the work um, that she is doing, and I'm I'm grateful that I get to stand right behind her and cheer her on. The fact that I get to work with Laura Gunner, um, who wrote the Donor Conceived Persons Protection Act, which is up for the vote right now in New York State, which would um, require clinics to verify the medical information that a donor hands in. I, I do want to take, because I, I don't think people realize who Laura, Laura Gunner is and why she is genuinely one of my favorite human beings to ever exist. Um, she had a donor-conceived son who started showing signs, and, you know, um, he he had his donor profile. There was no health issues listed uh, with the donor. It, there was nothing. There was no nothing. It was just a, a complete clean bill of health. Mm -hmm. Started showing signs of mental illness at the age of four. And immediately they were like, they they knew something was up. They they were immediately started showing signs. Immediately were like, okay, we need to like call some therapists, figure out what's going on. And was just like, they knew something was up. And so he was in and out of therapy, psychiatrists, for his entire life, they were like, is there any kind of mental history of mental illness? They're like, no, 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 there's nothing. Here's the donor profile. Like, there's nothing with us. Like, there's some anxiety, but like, no. Um, And he, you know, and then in his early 20s was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And then OD'd and passed away. And Laura with, she had just lost her son. And her first instinct was to find all of his siblings and all of their parents to ensure that they knew that her son had this diagnosis in case they needed to know that. That was her first instinct. Mm -hmm. Like this mom who had just lost her child, her first instinct is I need to ensure the protection of other children. That was her first instinct. Like that just tells you who this woman is. Mm -hmm. I will stand in front of a fucking bus for this woman. And then through all of this, she found the donor and found his, she found the, she, I should say she found the donor's mom because the donor was diagnosed with schizophrenia and OD'd a few years prior. Easy. Now, at the time when the donor donated, he was 18 years old. He had not been diagnosed with schizophrenia, but he had been um, put in a mental institution for physically threatening, um, uh, I believe, his father. Mm-hmm. The fact that he was in a mental institution was not listed in the donor profile. Now, again, he was not diagnosed with schizophrenia, but the fact that he was in a mental institution would have checked off like, okay, there is further, um, there is further investigation we need to do. There does seem, there could be a possibility that there is mental illness that we need to look farther into. Mm. And having that information, um, the ability to have been able to follow up with that donor could have been life-saving for Stephen. Yeah. Well, I mean, the fact that if you go to prison once, it's on your record and you have to like claim it on every job application you have, surely when you're going to sperm donor or egg donor, that these things matter. 
right? And that like, hey, well, maybe don't uh, be a sperm donor right now at 18. Let's have a year off, you know, like see where your mental health comes or put it on the list, right? If you are going to accept people like that, but absolutely, that should definitely be on records. It's, I mean, I think 18 is way, I think 18, 19 is way too young to be donating. Absolutely. The the minimum age should, I mean, there are so many genetic um, health conditions that don't get diagnosed until your early 20s. I personally think that the donation age should be 25. And I want to be very clear. This isn't about telling people they are not allowed to donate. I have, I, I personally have a very firm stance on, I don't, all of us have genetic you know, differences. Mm-hmm. Everyone should be allowed to donate. It's about informed consent. Yes. Because in Stephen's case, if they had that knowledge, he and they were able to follow up with the donor, anything like that, that could have changed his life if he had had, if they had known mm-hmm. his biological father had a history of mental illness. That could have changed his life. That could have gotten him an earlier diagnosis and better earlier care. Yeah, It could have been the care he needed mm-hmm. because he was showing signs at four. Yeah. And he could have still been with us and could have maybe not had had so much pain in his life from mm-hmm. not getting the proper treatment and, and being in this just roulette wheel of misdiagnosis. Um, because as yeah. we all know, mental illness is incredibly hard to diagnose. So Ugh. having a family mental history having a family medical history is imperative, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to um, mental mental health. Oh my God. Right. And so Laura found this out and Laura was like, this is never going to happen again. And so she wrote the bill, Donor Conceived Persons Protection Act, that would require all clinics and cryobanks to verify a medical history that a donor hands in, which is so basic. It's so basic, but again, that is who Laura Gunner is. Her instincts are, she just lost her child and her instinct is, I need to protect the other children. Yeah. That is who this woman is. This woman is an absolute treasure of a human being. I love her so much and I am so grateful that I get to work with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so unbelievably grateful. She is, she just genuinely wants to she 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 knew how much pain her son was in and i think it just it really hurt her that she couldn't do anything she didn't have those tools to help her child yeah i feel like in all pockets of the fertility land it's really the people that have gone through the trenches yeah. are out here now yeah insisting on change right? Like there's so many different paths and they're like myself, right? Like I could have easily just had my babies and been like, okay, you know, that's it. Where I have this wealth of knowledge and I don't want any woman to have to go through the shit I went through. And whether or not you take that knowledge and use it is a different question. Like I know it's not everyone's journey, but at least it's out there. At least people can't say like, well, I didn't know. And, you know, people like you and the women you're working with, we need people like that because it's not going to change. And unfortunately, we had to go through the shit to help make this change. But I think it it's vital for yeah. the future of our children's health on all levels. Right. 
It really is. And for me, it's and, and I always want to state like I'm not trying to end donor conception. I'm trying to make it safe and ethical for all parties involved, whether you are a donor conceived person, a recipient parent or a donor. Mm -hmm. I want you all to be safe. Yeah. Um, because right now, especially in the United States, it's just not safe. Yeah. And it, I yeah. want you to build your family. I want that for you. But this is we can do better. We have the technology, we have the ability, but we need to have a much better sense of community. This cannot just be about trying to get yours. Mm -hmm. We need to really be thinking this more as a collective. And I encourage, and this is a conversation I have with recipient parents all the time is you have to be the ones to stand up because the infertility industry has made it very clear that they do not give a shit about donor conceived opinions. They only yeah. care about recipient parents' opinions because you are the ones who pay the bills. Mm -hmm. You're the ones with the pocketbooks. And as much as I, I do firmly believe that it should be donor conceived people leading the charge, recipient parents, you need to be the ones demanding the change to the clinics and the cryobanks. Because again, they have made it clear they will only listen to you. We have been literally told to our faces that we as donor conceived people are too biased and they can't mm -hmm. listen to us, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because recipient parents are also biased just in a different <laughs> way. But it's, your bias apparently is is the one that they're going to listen to, not ours. Yeah. But, but it's just having this information, right? Like I know when I yeah. went into my first round of IVF, I was so naive. I yeah. did not know anything about the process, the health and wellness, like anything, right? And I was just lucky that I, when we were sat in our appointment, um, when it didn't work and it was a complete fucking shambles and they were like, just try again, just try IVF again. And just I was spend like, another, what, $15,000? I was like, well, what are you going to do different? Nothing. Well, what the fuck? That doesn't yeah. make sense. But most people don't like they don't have either whatever. Like, I don't want to go down that route, but I was just lucky that I was like, wake up. That does not make sense. Try yeah. something else, you know, or go read some statistics or go educate yourself on this yeah. thing. And I think the more like you say, the 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 community, the louder we can get the yeah. easier the information is to access and they can make educated decisions about yes. this process where I really truly feel for a large majority of people using the fertility industry, the infertility industry, we're not educated enough. Yes, and we have and to take personal responsibility because it's, it is our, yes. we need to do that. The I will I have a lot of empathy for parents in like certainly the 90s, 80s, 70s, you know, 60s, 50s, yeah. where it's like there was nothing, nothing. available for you. There was <laughs> nothing. No. I totally understand that. Mm -mm. But nowadays there is. There yeah. we we now there's so many parents like yourselves. There's donor conceived there. We now have donor conceived adults. We have uh children, uh, you know, adults uh who were conceived through IVF like we have all of these people who are adults who are now actively talking and they can and you need to be listening to them because you have to remember we live in the United States we live in a capitalistic society and it's all about the bottom line and it's about the product mm -hmm. specifically when it comes to donor conception what is the product it is the baby yeah. the baby is the product we are treated like transactions so, of course, they're always going to push you to the things that are going to make them more money, not what is actually best for you or your future child. 
So please be listening to donor conceived people, recipient parents who have done this. Um, but specifically, I mean, definitely please listen to donor conceived people because there's a lot of recipient parents that I'm going to, I'm going to say that are still in the denial fog. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will say like, you really listen to donor conceived people because there are, oh my God. I mean, there, there are some recipient parents who handled the situation so unbelievably poorly. Like they, they actively put their child in medical risk to keep the donor conception quiet that at this moment, I know plenty of donor conceived people who've gone non con no contact with their recipient parents. Yeah. Um, for example, like there are recipient parents who even while their child was like in medical hell, actively trying to figure out why they're sick, why they're wrong. And their doctors kept asking them, what's your medical history? Are you sure this doesn't run in your family? the recipient parents still at that moment were not telling their child the truth and not giving them the information that they needed to be telling their doctors in order to actively save their lives. Crazy. It is ridiculous the lengths that some recipient parents go to cover up their own insecurities. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I mean, the horror stories that exist from some donor-conceived people are just so nasty. Um, yeah. So please, please listen to those stories. They are very important to understand, um, to understand how, how much being honest and being open with your child means to us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm so glad that I hounded you to come onto this podcast and I'm glad that you made time. I adore what you're doing. I think you have a beautiful message and I'm so grateful that you're out there sharing your story, being really brave. So let our listeners know where they can find you. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. I do appreciate it. Um, I get, I do, I do get messages all the time. So I do apologize for my late (laughs) response to yours, but um, yeah, so you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram at at Laura high five. It'll be the number five, Uh, same with Twitter. Um, And then on YouTube, I'm Laura high. And my last name is H I G H high is in high school. And then um, I have my podcast insemination. We are five episodes in, so it's still very new, but it has been, so much epic tea has been already spilled. Um, right. uh, oh my God. Uh, it's been quite, quite incredible. Um, so you can find me there and I am all things donor conceived. Um, and also if you want to come see me do stand up comedy, um, my follow me on Instagram, my website, www.laurahigh5.com always has my full schedule. I will be in North Carolina early September. I will be in New Orleans in October. But for any of people who are going to be in New York City, May 17th, I will be co-producing with the amazing drag queen, Gina Tonic of New York City. We are uh, producing a benefit called Stand Up for Drag, and all the proceeds are going to be going to Drag Story Hour and the Transformation Project. Sweet. Oh, it sounds exciting. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I truly, truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Finding Fertility podcast. If you're loving this podcast, please leave us a rating and review and let us know how this podcast is supporting you to get steps closer to creating your dream family. I hope you have a beautiful weekend and we will see you next Friday for another episode of the Finding Fertility podcast.